Give me faith to trust what you say. It is one thing for us to come together and, and worship God, and, and it is great to sense his presence and to be together and to, and to know that he is God. But to trust everything he says is a different story, you know. To know that he really loves us. Earlier on, we, we sang another song that said, right here, right now, right here, right now, we seek you and we trust you. Do you trust the Lord? Don't answer me. Just, just, just think about it. Because we are dealing with a very difficult topic to talk about for pastors. We've been this whole month talking about, you know, money matters. And someone said that three conversions need to take place in our lives. The conversion of the heart, the conversion of the mind, and the conversion of the wallet. And of the three, the conversion of the wallet takes the longest. For those of you who are visiting us today for the first time, we are talking about money. <laughs> so I don't know if you chose a good day to be with us, but hey, it's a good thing because it's a biblical matter. The Bible talks more about money than about salvation, prayer, and everything else. And so we need to to acknowledge this as well, okay? So um, I trust that uh, you will get something out of this. And, uh, and so, yes, conversion of the heart, trusting Jesus, Lord, and Savior, great. That usually happens fairly quickly. And then the conversion of the mind, have your minds renewed to the will of God, understanding that there is a lifestyle that God requires of us. There is a discipleship process, and that takes a little bit longer. But it seems that the conversion of the wallet, understanding that biblically speaking, everything in the wallet, some of us have more, some of us have less. But no matter what you've got in your wallet, everything in your wallet actually belongs to the Lord. Some faithful Christians will say, oh, 10% belongs to God, the rest is mine. No, the Bible says everything belongs to the Lord. And so, Lord... Help me to trust you. <laughs> Help me to trust what you say. Give me the faith to trust what you say. Because if God says it, it's for your good and my good. And if you obey his will, it will result in your good and my good. But not just our good. Because when we trust God and do what he says, others around us get blessed as well. You become a channel of blessing to people that you know and people that you don't know. Because you never know the reach out, the outreach that your investment in the kingdom of God is going to have. So let us jump into today's uh, message, which is our part four. It is our last uh, messaging this series called Co-workers with God. We opened this month talking about stewardship and we defined what a steward is as we spoke about what they really own and what they're supposed to do with it. In the second week, we found out the importance and purpose of being stewards and realized that uh, when Jesus returns, we will give an account of our stewardship to him. And we will be rewarded accordingly. And of course, our desire is to hear the words, well done, good servant. Amen. From the Lord. In last week, we looked at the prosperity and poverty gospels. We saw that they are both extreme, yet both have very good and valid points. And as a steward... A steward stands in the middle and uses the strengths of both of them and applies it to their life. In between, on Saturday the 18th, we had a budgeting seminar and we've had good feedback from it. And it generated a lot of interest, a lot of questions as well. And talking to Carlos this week, um, we are considering presenting another one a bit later in the year. But instead of a presentation, rather have a workshop where people can come together and we can ask questions and we can talk with each other and we can have, um, you know, more a conversation and dive deeper into planning, investing, budgeting, and so on. And we conclude today with the message, co-workers with God. We will look more specifically at how we can be co-workers with God with our finances. Remember, you are a co-worker with God with the whole of your life. 
your time, your talents and gifts, and your uh, treasures, okay? And I'm going to start this message by briefly sharing some Bible verses about handling money. Then we're going to have a quick word on tithing, and then I'll close with how we can be a co-worker with God by our giving. And as, as dry as the subject might sound, it is actually a very spiritual subject. Because we are all here today, because over the last 2,000 years... Christians have been investing financially in the kingdom of God. Otherwise, churches could not have survived. Missionaries could not have been sent out. Evangelists and preachers and pastors could not have been out there doing the work of the Lord. And so for 2,000 years, believers have invested of their time, their talents, and they treasure so that we could be here. This church is here today because people over the last 35 years have been investing in it. Many of you are part of that group and all of you here today are part are investing right now in the existence of this church. And because of the existence of this church, people not just in Pretoria but in different parts of South Africa and in other nations are being touched by the word of God. Because of the existence of this church, mission work has been done through this church and many people are in the kingdom of God. There are people in different parts of the world who came to know the Lord and were encouraged and strengthened by the time they spent here. There are people in heaven today that are there because of the work that you and us together have done through this church. And so, you know, we think, I'm just coming to church and singing some songs and getting a message and dropping some coins. No, you are part of something much bigger. As a church, we are part of the kingdom of God. Amen? So, let's look at some verses about handling money. Of course, there is no way that in one series we can cover all that the Bible has to say about money. Like I said, it's over 2,000 verses. All right? And we've only covered a few in these last four weeks and a few more today. So, we will have to return to this topic from time to time and continue learning and renewing our minds. Of course, our life consists of our time, our talents, and our treasure, as I've mentioned. And now of that time, talent, and treasure, we will have to give an account to Jesus, and we'll be rewarded accordingly. <clears throat> Amen? So, our life on earth is described as a race. You know races? Remember school days when you race, you've got a target in the end, and you run and you aim for that thing, and everyone wants to be the first over there. Our life on earth is described as a race. A race is a challenge and requires effort. And that is what life is about. But the Lord wants us in that race with Him and for Him. When it says we keep looking unto Jesus, also says must run that race, looking unto Jesus, author and finisher of our faith. When it says looking unto Jesus, doesn't mean we run looking up to the sky. You're going to fall that way, okay? When it says looking unto Jesus, it means looking unto Jesus for guidance and for direction. Amen? And also, we keep looking unto Jesus Sitting on the throne. Remember week number two when I said in the end, we're going to have to give an account. When Jesus sits on the throne, he returns to earth. He sits on the throne and then we have to come and give an account to him and then we will be rewarded. We keep looking at that. Looking to that day. Looking to that day. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And we run this race looking at that day with expectation of hearing, well done from him. Amen? So, how should we spend our money? Can we do whatever we want with it just because it is ours? Remember, you are a steward. You own nothing that has not been given unto you. Every single thing that you've got today can be taken from you tomorrow. Every single thing. Your body could pick up tomorrow and be finished. And so, nothing. We own nothing. We are only stewards. And God gives us. He gives us life. Maybe give you a family. Maybe give you some money, some positions. Maybe it's given you a position of authority in society. Maybe it's given you influence. Everything that you've got is a gift from Him. Oh, but pastor, I studied seven years and I've been working for 30 years and I've worked hard for my promotion. And dun, 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 dun. who gave you the strength and the ability and the health and everything else to do what you've done? Your breath could be taken from you like this. We, in him, 
We move and live and have our being. Whether you're a believer or not, you exist because Jesus keeps you alive. And it's our choice. Whether we're going to use this life for his glory or whether we're going to ignore him and do whatever we want to do with our lives. And God gives us that choice. Keeping in mind though that one day is going to require an account of this life. And you will be rewarded accordingly. Remember the purpose of life is to manage the resources given to us. Not to hold on tight to those resources as if they belong to us. What is stewardship? Stewardship is what is mine is not mine. And I'm going to manage it for God's glory. So everything we have, we are supposed to manage for God's glory. It doesn't mean we can't enjoy it. Of course God wants you to enjoy it. He wants you to have a good time, to have nice clothes, a nice house, live comfortably. That is fine. But he wants you to manage it wisely. He wants you to have stuff. He doesn't want stuff to have you. There's a difference, right? Remember, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Not money. Money is neutral. Money is just sitting over there. Can't do anything by itself. You and I, we give life to that thing. And we can either use it for good or for evil. Hmm? So let's read some verses pertaining to the use of money. Isaiah 55.2. Isaiah 55.2. Why do you spend money for what is not bread? And your wages for what does not satisfy, question mark. Listen carefully to me. And eat what is good. And let your soul delight itself in abundance. Why do you spend money on what is not bread? Now, when it talks about bread, it means more than just a loaf of bread, okay? Remember Jesus said in Matthew 4, 4, that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So there is more to life than just food. There is more to life than just sustenance. Amen? So God is interested in our sustenance and our material needs. In the Lord's prayer, he says, give us this day our daily bread. Again, he's not just talking about your, your sandwich. He's talking about what you need for life, your material needs, your sustenance. Lord, give us what we need to sustain us. God is interested in your material needs. But he says... You must also live by what comes out of his mouth. And so listen to his guidance as you use money. This verse in Isaiah reminds us of this principle that God is interested in our physical needs. And yet so many people waste money consistently on what does not add value to their lives. Why do you spend money for what is not bread? Why do you spend money on things that do not add value, do not, do not add health, do not add meaning to your life? Why do you waste your wages on things that do not satisfy? There are people in this world, and you might know some of them, they waste their money consistently in pleasures which do not satisfy. It's like an addiction. It entices you, but does not satisfy or sustain you. People get involved in gambling and in substance abuse and all sorts of addictions. People waste their money on themselves, selfish desires, and do not use on things that bring good. They do not listen to what God says, what comes out of his mouth to manage the money properly. Luke 16 9 and 10. Words of Jesus. This is interesting. (laughs) Jesus says, And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. And, and this came in the context of a little story that Jesus said. What story? Go read it for yourself there in Luke 16, okay? But I'm taking this portion only to, to illustrate two things that Jesus is saying here. Very interesting. He says, make friends for yourselves in unrighteous mammon. Now, unrighteous mammon, 
mammon is an, 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 an Aramaic word for money, okay? And very often money has a negative connotation to it because many people use money for unrighteous purposes. They use money to gain something, gain popularity or gain position or gain favors and, and, and so on and so on. But Jesus says, you know, this money, which is often used selfish and for in self-satisfying way, he says, use this money <laughs> to make friends. Use money. Use this, this worldly thing called money, which many Christians kind of, oh, you know, it's dangerous. No, use your money to make friends. Use your money to influence people, to do good. Use your money for, who knows, to bring people to the Lord. Okay? Because if you use money to help people, usually it kind of opens them up to a conversation. You bless them. You go to a restaurant. How much do you tip the waiter? And sometimes Christians, and I'm sorry to say pastors, are the worst tippers. Jeez. We say they're judging everything. Is the coffee hot? He's not going to tip. He's going to get that tip, 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 tip. Use your money. I don't know about you, but it's amazing how, how I can bring a smile to someone just by tipping them more than the average. And, and if, if they, they, they are really trying their best, I acknowledge that. I tip a lot more. And, oh, you know how many conversations I've started with waiters and in, in public just because of a good tip? You and I have had spiritual conversations in restaurants using unrighteous mammon. And you can be a blessing to somebody. Use money to make friends. Money usually makes people smile. <laughs> and what is he saying here? He's saying... Make friends for yourselves by unrighteous man. That when you fail, the, the translators were very generous and very gentle. They didn't want to be upfront and offend anybody. Because the word fail in the original means so that when you die, when you fail, when you fail to exist, when you die, they may receive you into an everlasting home. Imagine you die. And one day in heaven, this guy tips you. Good to see you, Yava. Why? Remember, you tipped me and you, you got me thinking, man. That conversation you had got me thinking. And I gave my life to the Lord. Good. Imagine you meeting people in heaven that are there because you made friends with them through unrighteous mammon. You helped them out. That lady that you were behind her in the toll and she didn't have enough money for her nappies. And she says, don't worry, I'll give it to you. Just Got to thinking. Maybe restored her faith in people. And thereafter her faith in God. You never know the chain reactions of your acts of kindness. Mm. He who is faithful in what is least. And sometimes you say, oh, but I only have a little bit of money. I, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. People say to me, Pastor, right now I'm so tight. I've got so, but you know what? One day when I've got lots of money, I'm going to be a big tither. No, you're not. If you can't tithe on a thousand rand, you're going to tell me you're going to tithe on a hundred thousand rand? What's a tithe of a thousand? One hundred. A whole hundred. What's the tithe of a hundred thousand? Huh? You mean to tell me I'm going to give... 10,000 to the church. That pastor doesn't need 10,000 rand. Why is it that we tend to think that when you give him money to the Lord, we give him to a pastor or to a church? Something is screwed up in our thinking. Excuse my French. Because when we give to the Lord's work, we are giving to God. We look to him to reward us, not the church or the pastor. We are merely being obedient. Imagine if the Israelites were the, uh, do I like the high priest or don't I like the high priest? The high priest didn't greet me last time I was in Jerusalem. I'm not giving my tithes this year. He, he, he's got enough. They had to give, not to the priest, not to the Levite, to God. Yes, the priests were the ones receiving it, managing it, and so on, but they were bringing it to God, and God is the one that was blessing them. Proverbs 6, 1, 2, 3. Proverbs 6, 1, 2, 3. My son, 
If you become surety for your friend, if you have shaken hands in pledge for a stranger, you are snared by the words of your mouth. You are taken by the words of your mouth. So do this, my son, and deliver yourself, for you have come into the hand of your friend. Go and humble yourself. Plead with your friend. I, I don't know if this is still done very much today, but, but in years gone by, it was very common. You want to buy something, an appliance, uh, a car or something, and you don't have enough money. So you go to a friend who has the money, who is able to pay those, those installments. And so you go to the, to the, to the dealer and say, look, I want the, this car. I'm going to sign for it. And this man is going to uh, stand surety for me. And so they get your particulars, they get the man's particulars, which means that if you default on your payment, your friend will pay for you. And people do this because they're friends or because they're family. They will do this. The sad story is six months into the deal, the buyer is gone. For some reason, he can't pay anymore or he just disappears with the car. And the other guy has to pay the bills. He's stuck with that burden. And I've, I've seen stories like that in the past. The Bible is against that. Now, people get turned and twisted and, and emotionally coerced to doing this kind of thing. But as a principle, I've never gone near that stuff. And I tell you what, you know, because of this biblical principle, don't do that. And it's going to save you a lot of trouble. I think these days they don't do it so much anymore. These days they want to check your credit record and they want to check everything. You've got to prove to them that you can pay for the thing before they give you the thing, right? But anyway, just keep this in mind because this kind of situation may come towards you. Where we're family or friends or even strangers want to lean on you. And sometimes it might be just a small amount. The Bible says, don't do it. Why? Because you have no control over that person's life, nor over your life. That person could drop dead tomorrow. You don't know. And then you sit with a hot potato. Your situation could change. Today you might be fine. But your situation could change tomorrow. And then if he defaults and you can't pay, then both of you go to the chuki. Be careful. Listen to the word of God. 1 Timothy 5.8. 1 Timothy 5.8. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now you might say, man, who, who would do this? Well, listen, Timothy is writing to Christians. A lot of these Christians were young believers. Remember, this is still the first century. The church is still growing. A lot of people are coming to know the Lord, but they, are, they haven't been discipled yet. They're still growing in the knowledge of the Lord. And, and this like, sounds like common sense. You must provide for your own. But you know that in Timothy's time and still today, all these centuries later, you still find many breadwinners who blow their income in gambling, drinking, drugs, prostitution, and other vices while ignoring their families. Remember, we are all stewards and we will all have to give an account to Jesus of how we spend our money. All of us, not just Christians. Those unbelievers that are doing this kind of stuff, you might say, oh, they're sinners. Yeah, they're sinners. But they're also going to have to stand before Jesus and give an account of what they've done with their money. But you know what the sad thing is? You find Christians doing some of these things. Christians not looking after their families. Spending money on themselves, on their own pleasures. And not sharing, not doing things together with their wives, not doing things for their families. This is sad. He says, if you do this, you are worse than an unbeliever. Mm. So guys, let us, you know, pull our, our bearings and, and use the word of God as a guide. Now, what if I came to you this morning and preached to you like this? You know, we, you know we've just completed now on, the, on Friday was the first anniversary of the Ukrainian war. A silly war. And there are still countries which are neutral about that. Oh, I don't know. Should we? Shouldn't we? Is it bad? Is it good? So what if I came to you and I said, where do wars and fights come from? From among you. Because among you, there's some fighting as well. 
among you, there's some wars as well. Wars of words. Wars of between families and between friends and different opinions. Where do fights and wars come from? Do they not come from your desires? Don't they come from the desires for pleasure that war in your members, in your body? Listen, you lust and you do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war. And yet, you do not have. You know why? Because you do not ask. <laughs> and, and when you ask, you do not receive, right? You know why? Because you ask amiss that you may spend it in your own pleasures. <laughs> you adulterers and adulteresses. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whatever therefore, whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. The church is quiet. And I think it was really quiet in the first century when Timothy, when James preached this sermon. These are the words of James. James chapter 4, verses 1 to 4. These words were written to Christians. James was writing to believers. And yet he writes like this. When he's talking about adulterers and adulteresses, he doesn't necessarily mean people are sleeping around or being unfaithful to their spouses. They were being unfaithful to God. Because with their mouth, they confessed their love to God, but their actions were far from God. Hmm? And so, <laughs> they were breaking their covenant with God. And how many, how many believers, how, how many of us, let's, let's bring it to 2023, 2022, 2023. Have we been faithful all the time to God? Have we kept our word to God every single time? You know? How many times have we made prayers to God, Lord, I need more money, I need to get out of this thing and so on, but all we really want is to get that better car to be just like that guy down the road. All I want is to get those shoes, you know, because that lady in the office is always wearing nice shoes. I want nice shoes. I wanted to see I can do it as well. God, give me the money. Please, I need to buy new shoes. Now, you don't need to buy new shoes. You want to buy new shoes. The Bible says God shall supply all our needs. Not necessarily our wants. Now, sometimes God will supply our wants too. See that as a bonus, okay? But God is under no obligation to supply your wants. But trust him and he'll supply your needs. But if you are faithful to him, he might even grant you some wants. But you see, we need to learn to be faithful to God at all times. Particularly in the era of finance. Amen? And so, we want to understand that Finances we want to use for the kingdom of God, not for our pleasure. One more. Luke 14, 28 to 30. For which one of you, this is Jesus speaking, which one of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Lest, after he has laid the foundation, he's not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. <laughs> All right, now, those of you who attended the budgeting seminar, you will remember this one. And, and there are more verses in the, in the Bible that instructs us to plan and to budget. That's what this verse is all about. Plan and budget. Don't just jump into things in a hurry. Stop. Sit down. Think. Plan. Budget. There is nothing unbiblical, nothing unspiritual about budgeting. Oh, I've got some more here. Thank you. <laughs> all right. Um, there is nothing unspiritual about budgeting. It is a spiritual principle. You, you see, uh, like we said last week, you get, you get these schools, different schools in, 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 in theology. Uh, be poor, you know, trust God. And the other one says, no, you must gather, gather. Uh, a steward, a steward takes the best of, best of both worlds. A steward listens to the word of God. A steward trusts God for every single need. But a steward also plans. A steward also is wise. 
And that is very important when it comes to the next, next section I'm going to talk about. But uh, look, look, look at the Bible. Uh, Joseph in Egypt. What was he doing? He was planning and budgeting. God led Joseph to lead that whole nation of Egypt into a planning and budgeting thing. They're going to have seven good years and then seven bad years. So they use the seven good years to store enough for the seven bad years. One-fifth was stored in the good years. You read that in Genesis 41 and 47. What about David? He prepared for the temple which Solomon would build. In Chronicles 22, 5, you read about this. So David knew he was not going to build a temple, but he desired to do this temple there. So he began to make preparations, and he prepared over time. He budgeted. He prepared. He planned so that Solomon would have what he needed to build the temple. How's it going with your planning and your budgeting in terms of finances? Or do you come every morning, open your wallet and say, what have I got for today? Too many people live like that. You go into a cupboard, ooh, good, we've got meat for today. Let's eat, guys. We eat everything. The cupboard is empty. Tomorrow I say, oh, oh, and now we don't plan. From food to finances, we need to budget. We need to plan. We need to think ahead. Otherwise, one day, you open your wallet, you open your cupboard, and you go, oops. It is biblical, people. Amen. Let's talk a little bit about tithing now. And, you know, beware where you go for this information. Most people will go to Google. Remember that tree that God put in the garden? The tree of knowledge of good and evil that God said, do not touch that thing. And they went for it. All right. The modern version is Google. Google is filled with good and evil. And people run to it all the time instead of running to God. And if you Google tithe, man, you're going to get the good, the bad, and the ugly. And so we need to get back to the word of God. There were three different tithes commanded under the law. I think I've got a slide for that. And you know, you think tithe is is 10%. But actually, the Jews had three different tithes. There was the, uh, the Levitical or the sacred tithe. That was the regular tithe they had to bring. Every time there's a harvest, 10% gets taken and given to the Lord. Taken to the temple and given to God. That's a sacred tithe. Every, everybody had to do it. All the people. And I remember they lived in an agricultural uh, culture. You know, it was animals and, and, and grain and, and fruit and so forth. So the tithe of all that was taken to the temple. They, have massive, they had massive storehouses, and it was stored over there for the use of the priests and of the Levites for them to live because the priests and Levites did not have their own portion of land. All the tribes had land, but the Levites, they served in the temple. And remember, Israel was not a democracy nor any other form of politics. They were a theocracy. God would lead them. Later on, they opted to having a king, and they got into all sorts of trouble. But God wanted these people to be led by him. And so the Levites, the high priests and the priests and the Levites and so on, they acted as well as kind of the legal system for the nation, um, the, the spiritual system, the social assistance system. It, it, it was a, a, a kind of a tax which they paid so they could have all the religious and social services which came from the Levites. Very much like you pay tax today. You've just had our budget speech. I'm not going to comment on that, except to say that all of us pay taxes. Even if, you, if, you, if your salary is not high enough to fall into a tax bracket and you don't pay the income tax, but every time you buy something, you pay 15% tax. Not 10%, 15%. Most people will pay in the region of 26 plus tax. Some people pay a bit more, some people pay a bit less. But the fact is, we all pay tax. Why? Because there is a system which is supposed to keep the lights on and keep things going. And so we pay tax for that. All right? Now, in the, in the theocracy, the system actually worked. Okay? And the, the people would bring their tithes and it would keep the Levites going. The second tithe was a tithe of the feast. You find in Deuteronomy 14. And that was a second tithe which happened every year. And this is an interesting tithe because you had to take that tithe and take it with you to Jerusalem during the times of the feasts. And you would actually feast with it. You'd have a part. You'd eat it. 
with your friends and family and the whole nation. They'd celebrate before the Lord. It's almost like God saying, guys, you as a nation, you need a holiday. You need to eat, drink, have fun. And so everybody would take that tithe and go and enjoy themselves. So maybe I think we're going to start taking a second tithe here in church. And once a year, we're going to have one massive party. How's that, guys? It's biblical. You know? <laughs> no. <laughs> All right? And so that's what it was. And, and now remember, tithe, we're talking about now grain and, and, and chickens and cows. And, stuff. and so if they lived very far from Jerusalem, they could sell all that stuff, take money to Jerusalem. And then in Jerusalem, they could buy food and drink and so on and have their feast in Jerusalem. All right. The third tithe was a tithe for the poor. And it happened every third year. And that tithe was given wherever they stayed. Look, they had the synagogues and so forth. They had their local temples. And that tithe was taken wherever they stayed. And that third tithe, every third year, was also given. And that was reserved to give to the poor, to the widow, and, and so forth. It was stored locally in the different villages and distributed and so forth. Now, this is a very brief background of tithing in the Old Testament. So as you see, it was a kind of a, a, a tax system. And if you add all that, it lands up by being more than, than 10%. Now, this tithing is quite complex. As you read the whole, the whole you know, schedule of, 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 the, of the tithes and throughout the Old Testament, if you read all the writings of the times and so on, it, it became quite a, a, a complex thing. They started to give temple tax and there was a whole bunch of other stuff. So they actually give quite a lot, much more than 10% is what they were actually giving to the Lord and to the temple and so forth. So much so that when, by the time Jesus comes around, now they're living under the, the Romans and they have to pay the tithes and they've got to pay the Roman taxes. And people are getting fed up. And so they challenge Jesus. Hey, Jesus, must we pay the taxes? We really have to pay tithes and so on. And Jesus is very wise in his answer. He says, give me a coin. Who's, who's here? Ah, it's Caesar. Give to Caesar what he Caesar's. Pay your taxes to the Romans. What? Are we supposed to give money to a sinful government, a corrupt government? Well, apparently, yes. And I do pay my taxes. Not one cent more than I need, but I do pay my taxes. Okay. And then he says, and give to God what is God. So you guys are tithing, you need to continue tithing. How do you do that? That's where the trust comes in, people. Because take what about today? We are paying a whole bunch already in taxes, which you cannot avoid. Every time you go to the shop, you're going to pay tax. All right? You work, you're going to pay tax. And, and, they, and they, don't ask, they don't ask you if you like to. They just take it off. By the time your money comes into your bank account, the taxes have already been removed. And you already paid your taxes. Okay? And now you must still give money to God. How are you supposed to do that? As I say, that's where trust comes in. Because when God makes a promise, he keeps it. But it depends on our trust. Our trust to him. Amen? And, um, and, of course, tithing is a thing which preceded the law. Abraham tithed and Jacob tithed. Okay, tithed. All right, they, they, they did it only once. It wasn't a continuous thing. But the principle of tithing existed over there. Then it was made into law, and it became part of the law of Moses. And then, what about the New Testament? Because you and I, we live in the New Testament. And it's interesting that no reference is made in the New Testament about believers having to tithe as when they were under the law. Remember, under the law, if you did not tithe, according to Malachi, you're, you're placed under a curse. And God said, you are under a curse because you're rubbing from you with your tithes and offerings. You know? And that was true. If you go again, read, read the story, read the Old Testament. Every time the people obeyed God and, 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 and obeyed Him and tithed and everything, God's blessing came upon them. There were good crops and everything else. Every time they turned their backs on God, worship at the idols, stopped tithing, there was a curse that came upon them. It was tied. Why? Because they were under a theocracy, number one. And number two, they were under the law. They had to do it. Like today in South Africa. You don't pay your tithe. You don't pay your taxes. The law is going to come after you. They're going to find you. And when they find you, you're going to be under a curse, man. <laughs> okay? But in the New Testament, it's interesting. It doesn't talk about tithing. And, and the one time Jesus spoke about tithing was to scold the Pharisees who were quick to force the people to abide by the small details of the law in tithing, but they ignored the more weighty matters like justice and mercy. And Jesus required both to be done by them under the law. You see, in the New Testament, there is no obligation to tithe 
or to give. It's not a law. But the responsibility of giving still remains. Can you hear that? There is no obligation to give. That's why in this church and in, in most Christian churches, nobody comes off to you asking, hey, how much do you give? How much, how much, how much, how much do you give? How much? You give willingly. We don't keep track of who gives how much. You give willingly. Because in the New Testament, that's how it was. Read the book of Acts. The people gave willingly. And they didn't just give 10%. Many gave more than 10%. They gave with joy. Now, there are those who give very little because there is no obligation to give. And they are not bound by the law. So they say, yippee, I don't have to tithe, I don't have to give. And, and they give the minimum possible. They go through the budget, too. I've got this, I've got a guy, I want this and I want that, my hamburgers, da 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 Oh, shucks, there's only 15 bucks left. I guess that's what I'm going to give to the Lord. And they give what is left if there is something left. You see, we need to remember that Paul said that we must not abuse our liberty as an opportunity to give way to the flesh. Remember when we started Galatians? Okay, that little hill thing. Okay, we've got the law. We've got the... Our liberty must not be used to ignore good things. Our liberty must not be used to allow our flesh to take over and ignore what God requires of us. Here are some New Testament verses on giving. Matthew 6, 33. Jesus speaking. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek first the kingdom of God. God's governance upon your life. And what is right before God. That's what you seek first. And then he says, all these things shall be added. These things refer to your clothing and food and your daily needs. Put God first. And all the stuff will be added unto you. Luke 6, 38. Give. And it will be given to you. Good measure. Pressed down. Shaken together and running over. Will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. So, give to God with a teaspoon, and you're going to get a teaspoon given back to you. Give to God with a shovel, and you're going to get a shovel given back to you. Good measure. Press down. You see, the New Testament principle is give. Why? Because our Father is a giver. God so loved the world that He gave. And God always gives graciously and abundantly. Throughout the Word, you find that. And so, as His children, we are taught and challenged to give, give, give. Now, you see, this is given to begin with you. This is not a formula for you to negotiate with God. Here, God, I gave you a hundred bucks. Now, come on, I'm waiting for it. It's not a negotiation thing. It's a principle thing. We want to be like our father. And so we give. And we give to the kingdom first. Because we want to see the kingdom grow. The kingdom expand. The word of God increase. Amen. Matthew 23, 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the Lord, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. You see, there is, it's, there's no legalism in tithing. Again, here, Jesus is speaking to the Jews, to the Pharisees I mentioned just now. All right? And they were under the law to tithe. But they are forgetting the other stuff. Justice, mercy, faith. And he says, you've got to keep both. Now, for the Jew, it was a legal thing. For us, it's not an obligation. But it's a privilege to serve the Lord with this. Okay? There is no legalism in tithing. But it is an overflow of a heart filled with faith. It's justice, mercy, and faith. Do we have faith? Lord, help me. Give me faith to trust you. That when I give to you, I'm not losing money. I am gaining. I'm becoming a part of your kingdom. And whatever I give to you, Lord, you will make sure it comes back to me multiplied. And that's what I've seen throughout my life. Okay? Your gift to God, it comes back to you. Not all of us becomes rich and famous just because we tithe. No. Some tithers have a hard time in life as well. But they always have what they need. Plus, they have the privilege of partaking in the kingdom of God. And one day, they're going to hear from the Lord. Well done, good servant. 
that little tithe you gave, which you struggled so much to give, look, look what it does. See, they, they, those people there, they are here because of your giving. You didn't see it, but your money helped them to hear the gospel and to be here today. Amen. Second Corinthians 9, 6 to 8. But this I say, he who sows sparingly, sparingly will reap sparingly. Here we go again. You see, the kingdom of God works according to the law of the farm. What you sow, you will reap. So he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let, listen, let each one give as he purposes in his heart. Did you see that? Let each one give as he purposes in his heart. The Lord does not command you give 10, 20, 15%. He says, give as you purpose in your heart. But you've got a purpose in your heart. And how can you purpose in your heart if you don't spend time with your money and with your budget and you say, Lord, I want to give so much to you this month. Help me. And maybe this month you cannot give 10% because your obligations, they're they're being things. But your your, your aim is, Lord, I want to give as much as I can to you. Sometimes it's a sacrifice, but unless you sit with your budget and you think and you plan, you cannot purpose. To purpose, you've got to think, you've got to plan, and you've got to determine, I am going to give. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart. Every morning, every Sunday morning, you hear, yeah, we're going to worship the Lord with our tithes and offerings. Listen, giving to God in the New Testament is an act of worship. Giving to God in the Old Testament was an act of worship as well. Even though it was a legal system, they had to, it was still an act of worship. In the New Testament, more so, because it's an open system, free. Nobody sits here checking you. Have you given your 10%? Let me see. Where's your pay slip? Oh, but you only gave so much. What's wrong with you? No, 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 no. It's an open system, and you worship from your heart. So giving, tithes and offerings is an act of worship. And that's what he wants, okay? And he says, give. Give as you purpose in your heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, not moaning and groaning, oh, here we go again, it's offering time, oh, what can I give? No, it is planned and it is given with joy. For God loves a cheerful giver. The word cheerful in the original is the same root word from the, which our word hilarious comes from. You know, <laughs> hilarious. The guy is giving with so much joy. He's, he's, he's so full of joy because he's giving to God. It's hilarious how he's, he's enjoying this thing. God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you. That you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. God wants us to, he's, he's created us for good works. And as we give joyfully, cheerfully to him, as we have purposed in our hearts, as we've looked at our budget, yes, I can this, now I'll give more, you've made your buy, I'm going to give this. You give joyfully, God will make sure that we always have all that we need for our life and for good works. Remember, the aim of the word of God in our lives is not that we have just enough, but he wants us to have enough for ourselves and to give to others. But if we are always eating the seed, if you're always eating what is left over, oh, I've got some extra money. What can I spend on for myself? What what new toy can I get? Uh, What new pleasure can I find? You see, you're not budgeting. You're not planning. You're spending it on yourself. You're not using it for God's glory. But you start budgeting and you start giving to God. You're going to start finding that you start having money for yourself and you might even have some extra to have some fun. But have healthy fun. Good fun. Biblical fun. Mm. Wow. We are instructed to be generous, joyful givers because there are blessings attached to our giving. Now, although we are not under the law, Okay, does it mean then we don't have to tithe? Listen, the Bible says in the New Testament, we are under a better covenant than the Old Testament. And so let me ask you this. We are in a better covenant, more blessings, direct access to God, which none of this existed in the Old Testament. And they gave 10% plus 10% plus whatever, okay? They gave more than 10%. Should we now in a better covenant... 
give less than they gave in the Old Testament. Think with me. So may I propose to you that 10% should be our baseline, our minimum aim of giving to God. Hmm? You see, tithing is a principle. It's not a law, but it's a principle. The Ten Commandments existed in the Old Testament. Did did we scrap them in the New Testament? No, because those are principles. We've brought them in. Okay? We still have a day to rest. They used to have it on a Saturday. In the New Testament, we have it on a Sunday. But the principle is, hey, have a break. Take a day to worship God and to chill a little bit. Amen? We still don't go around killing people. It's because we're mad at them because it's a principle. Thou shalt not kill. And tithing is not a law for us. Tithing is a joy. It's a participation in the work of God. And so, if we are instructed to give and to be generous, I think 10% is a good place to start, don't you? And you ask, but pastor, should I give 10% of my gross or of my net salary? That's a great question. Go and ask the Holy Spirit. Okay? And you and the Holy Spirit figure out. And listen, if you're happy giving of your net, give your net. If you're happy giving of your gross, give from the gross. But do whichever one you can do joyfully. If at the moment you're stuck, you can't give from the gross, you can't give from the net, start there. But do it with joy. And as the Lord starts blessing you, you might find yourself going to the gross and giving from the full amount. And as God blesses you, you might find yourself giving more. There was a businessman, he began tithing to God, he began giving his 10%. He went on to 20%. There came a point in his life, he was giving 90% to the work of the Lord and living very comfortably on 10%. And, there, and there's more than one testimony of people that have done that. Now, not everybody's going to get there because not everybody has the gifts of a businessman or whatever it is. But we can all aim and achieve 10% and giving it to the Lord. Amen? Why should we give? Listen, giving breaks the power of materialism over you. And this has become a teaching topic even amongst secular people. Secular advisors, secular uh, financial um, you know, mentors and so on, they tell you, take 10%. Give it away. Give it to a church. Give it to welfare. Give it to a non-profit. But take 10% and give it away just to break the power of money over you, the power of materialism over you. Just give it away. The world is picking up on what the Bible says. And Christians are complaining about it. And the world is getting worth and getting blessed financially. While we are complaining and losing out on the blessing. Giving leads you to plan, to budget, and to use your money intentionally. When 10% goes, oops, I've got 90%. I better plan here. How am I going to do this? It's a good discipline. And it teaches you to live a little bit less. And to realize that with less, you can do so much more. And you don't just give according to what you think you want. But as a disciple, you give according to God's instruction. You tithe to the Lord's work starting at your local church. Amen. One could talk about about tithing, but I think it's enough for today. Let's move on now to the final section where I want to talk about giving. And, you know, being co-worker with God through giving. And the best way to be a co-worker with God when it comes to money is to support your local church. So right now, I'm talking to the Awaken Life Church members and supporters. If you're watching and you're from another church or congregation, this will apply to you and your church, wherever you are. Your local church is where you should be doing the things I'm going to mention here. But for those of you who are members here or you are supporters, friends of Awaken Life Church, first of all, I want to thank you all. All you guys who are here, those of you watching, thank you for your faithful giving. Like I said earlier on, this church exists because of your giving. And, and by the way, before I, I finish off on that, I just want to go back to one, one quick little thing. There are people that say, Geez, Pastor, I can't give 10%, so I'm going to give nothing. If I can't give 10%, what's the point of giving anything? Because some people say, you know, you must first give your tithe and then the offering. You can't give an offering if you haven't given the full tithe. You must first give your full tithe, you know, then that, and then you give the offering. Says who? 
You can take text out of context to create that idea, but many people have been bound by that. And they say, well, until I can give my tithe, it's no point giving to God because God's not going to receive it. No, you start where you are. You can't give 10%, give 5%, 7%, 6 Determine an amount and start there, but start giving to God. Just because you can't give everything, don't sit and give nothing. Give something, give it regularly, make sure and put it part of your, a part of your budget, and then say, God, help me. With your, with your help, I'm going to give to you, and I'm trusting your blessing to increase my income, increase my, my money organization, my management, so that I can give more. And make it your aim to reach to 10% and beyond if you're able to, okay? So our, our, the best way is to start where we are. So as I said, I'll say thank you to all you guys who give regularly to this church and form part of this work. Not only are you co-workers here, but you are co-workers of whatever God does through this church and the people in it, okay? Your regular monthly giving is what we call tithes. We don't know if it is tithes or not, but whatever comes in regularly, we call it tithes, amen? And uh, it's based on the biblical principle of 10%. Now, the fact is that some people give 10%, some give less than 10%, and some give more than 10%. But I believe every member, therefore, should aim to give 10%, if not doing so yet. All right? Okay, so... The fact that you're not under the law should, <laughs> the fact that you're not under the law shouldn't steal from us the joy of giving. All right? It should make us joyful and generous givers. You're not under the law. So you should be joyous and generous givers, not greedy and grumbly givers. I'd encourage the following folks here at Awaken Life Church. If you're going to give, to this church, I encourage you to give electronically. Amen? Every Sunday we put up the slide here with our banking details and uh, online as well. And uh, if you go to our website, you're going to find all this information. We even have a little snap scan from anywhere in the world you, you can give as well. So I encourage you to give electronically. Why? You can give cash. Some of you prefer to give cash. But um, every time we put cash in the bank, we lose an amount through bank fees. They've increased that. It's quite a big amount. And so we prefer to go electronic. So the full amount goes into our uh, account. And, and also, the, I, would, I would encourage you to make, it your, make your giving, um, make it a, an automated monthly payment. You don't have to go every single month and give. Go to your, to your app, whatever, and plan. I want to give so much every month. And put it for the next 12 months, I'm giving this. And then when your when you, you know, income changes, you go back to your app and you adjust it and you leave it. Why? That enables you to give continuously without having to forget. Even if you go away, it is always there. You know your, 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 your giving to the Lord is there. You've done your part. And when you do a budget, you go, oh, I'm giving this. And you thank Jesus and you, and you pray your blessing over it. And you don't have to always bring physically your money to church. So I encourage you to give electronically and to automate your giving. Amen? Now, if you give electronically, when you give as a reference, just say the tithe or offering, depending on what it is. Your regular monthly giving, call it tithe. Whether you're giving 10%, 20%, 5%, call it tithe, because that's your regular monthly giving, okay? If you're giving just a sporadic amount now and then, just call it offering. Okay? That helps us to manage. Why? Because we use the income that comes as tithe, both cash and electronically, we use that as our baseline in terms of church income. Because tithes are usually a regular income. Offerings, they fluctuate. And so in our planning, we use tithe as our baseline. So it will help us as well for budgeting as a church if we know this is how much coming in tithe. You do not have to put your name you can if you want, but you do not have to put your name because we do not track. Uh, you do not track givers. You know, in South Africa, there is no benefit to tithe. In America, they keep track because there's a tax benefit. So they keep track of exactly how much each one gives, and then they give them a little receipt, and they can go and claim it from tax. And even so, only a very small percentage of Americans actually tithe. That's another story. But here we do not do that. So you can just put tithe. You're welcome to put your name, but you don't have to. Um, but now, yeah, I want to put a little challenge to you then. For those of you who are not tithing 
or not giving a full tithe, why don't you trust God to help you to increase your giving? Maybe you are tithing already, but you're not tithing the full percent. Don't you not trust God to help you notch it up one or two percent more over the next six months? Or maybe take you to your 10 percent. Make it a matter of trust. Don't come and give me feedback. This is between you and God, all right? I don't want hands going up. I don't want pledges. It's between you and the Lord. I don't know how much you're giving if you are or not. But I want you to go before the Lord and say, God, this is how much I'm giving. I'd like to give so much more. Help me. And then look at your budget. Look at your expenses. Trust God. Pray about it. For God to give you that increase. Amen? That's the first challenge I'm going to make give to you today. I'm going to give you two challenges. This is the first one. And remember, when you are tithing, although you may be tithing to this church, you're not tithing to the church nor to the pastor. You are giving to God and his work through this church. Amen? Okay. Here's another giving, a giving challenge. Remember the access account or the building fund, which I spoke about in the first of the series. I commended you and us as a church um, in, the, in the middle of 2019. We were a little bit in trouble. Our access account was deep we were into minus almost 200,000 in the red. And you put out a challenge. And over six months, from September to February, September 2019 to February 2020, we recovered. By extra giving, your extra giving over and above your tithes, we recovered those 200,000 rand. And in February of 2020, I was able to announce to you with much joy that, hey, we've recovered our 200,000, our 200K challenge. We are there. Praise God. And we rejoiced. And then in March 2020, the pandemic hit us. Boom. So praise God that we were ready. We had that cushion which we could use. Obviously, we did feel, you know, uh, the, the pressures of income and many families we had to help. Many families lost jobs and so forth. And so, thank God for that, we are able to, to, to assist. Now, what happened? Somehow, as this, these things happened, money had to be transferred from that account between 2020, 2021. We noticed a drop in our income, and of course, this required transferring money from that access account into our main account for, for payments. Also, during that time, we, we and, and in, in especially in, in last year as well, in 2022, um, we noticed from about March 2022, a further drop in our, and it was interesting because by 2022, most people had kind of reestablished themselves, you know, things that are more stabilized in terms of jobs. But from March last year, 2022, we noticed a, a, bit, of, a bit of a drop, a drop in our income. And of course, it's required now more transferring from our access account. And also during that time, last year, until much of this year, we spent time with, uh, spent money with equipment for kids' church and then finishing off the, the tech room up there, which is used now for streaming and for tech work, which also we needed to use and dive into the access account. It was work which had to be done immediately, and you had no time to search at doing fundraising. Work had to be done. Those needs were there, and so we, we did the work. There's still things that need to be done. Uh, we still need some things for kids' church and, and so forth, but the fact is that at the moment, our access account is sitting at 100,000 in the red. Okay, We've gone 100,000 rand into the red with the access account. And so here is the second challenge I'm putting to you, okay? The first one is, let us be faithful in our tithes and see what we can do in terms of going up to the 10%. But for those of us who are able to, I want to invite individuals and families who are able to do so, okay? And again, it's not an obligation. I'm just laying it out to you, to those of you online, to those of you here. And I want to invite you to contribute to recover the funds spent. Instead of coming and doing a fundraising thing and then spending the funds, we had to spend those funds. These things had to be done for the continuation and improvement of our work. And so we've done the things, but now I'm asking you to contribute to recovering 
those funds. Okay? There's no need to pledge. If you feel that you are able to give, then give. All right? Just give. And how you're going to do it is this. When you give online, when it comes to reference, just use the word recovery fund or just recovery. Recovery or recovery fund. Use that when you give and that money will be transferred to our access account. Okay? If you're giving by envelope, um, now those envelopes are, it says tithes on the envelope. If you're giving cash, please use a tithe envelopes that we know that it is tithe. But if you're giving to this fund, just scratch the word tithe and there's a line there for other. Just write the recovery fund or just recovery. And that cash will also be used for the recovery of our access uh, account. Amen. Those are the two challenges I want to leave with you. And by doing that, you are contributing, co-working with the Lord through the work of this church. Your faithful tithing will increase our baseline income and enable us to do more in our departments and extend our reach as a church. The sacrificial giving of your offerings over and above your tithes, including for the recovery fund, will help to recover the funds that has been expended and will facilitate the enhancing of our work as a church. Church, let us use these opportunities to exercise our financial stewardship muscle. Let us be faithful stewards today so that on that day, remember that day? On that day, we can hear the words, well done from the Lord Jesus and be rewarded. Amen. I trust this is challenging to you and not a burden. Remember, finances, as I said, it can be a difficult topic to talk about and to hear about. And yet, it is part of our life as followers of Jesus, part of our discipleship, and above all, part of our stewardship. May the Lord help us to trust him and to be good, faithful stewards. Amen. Let us stand up and pray. My God, you know, every individual, every family, every heart in your presence, you know our desire to serve you, to please you. Yes, we desire to be blessed by you. Of course we do, Lord. But we thank you for our salvation, and we want to see this gospel going forward. We want to see this church increasing, the work of this church reaching out to more people. And we acknowledge our duty as stewards of everything you've entrusted to us. And so, Father, I pray, Lord, that your work in our hearts, those of us here present, those of us watching online, those of us listening to this message, Lord, help us to become faithful stewards, whether you are part of Awaken Life Church or another church. Help us to give with joy, to be joyful givers. Give us the faith, Lord God, to do it according to your pattern, to your principles, for your glory and honor, in Jesus' name. And so now, may the love of God the Father, the grace and the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be upon each one of us as we endeavor to be good, faithful stewards. Amen and amen. God bless you. Have a great Sunday. See you next week. Amen.